0: I was foolish to think I could reach the nest. He then heard Max barking in alarm. Patrick lifted his gaze and there, ten feet above him, was a panther. Coming up for your precious feather, boy? The panther growled. I knew you'd try it eventually, stupid boy. Trying to be so high and mighty. Do something! Welcome to the Epic Order of the Seven, the podcast, with your hosts, Max, Liz, and Nigel. This podcast is produced by Playful World Ministries, a department of ACT International. All of the Epic Order of the Seven characters and adventures were created by and written by Jenny L. Cody. And I'm your narrator, Denny Brownlee. By the way, as you listen to this episode from the audiobook The Voice, The Revolution, and The Key, Keep in mind, you can download your very own copy of it by visiting audible.com. That's www.audible.com. And you'll find the entire collection of Jenny L. Cody's Epic Order of the Seven books by going to her website, epicorderofthe7.com. On today's episode, we'll bring you chapter 19 from the audiobook The Voice, The Revolution, and The Key. Plus later, we'll get some personal insights from our author extraordinaire, Jenny L. Cody. And of course, as always, please welcome the hosts of our podcast, Max, Liz, and Nigel. Oh Merci, monsieur announcer. Indeed, old boy. And let me just say, on behalf of my colleagues, we do so appreciate your taking time each week to formally present us to our ever-growing audience. You're welcome. After all, while some listeners have been with us for quite some time, your weekly introductions ensure that even our most recent Epic Order listeners are properly informed. Well, thank you, Nigel. Uh, for me, it's a distinct honor. Distinct? Oh, wait, are you saying that introducing us stinks? After most, he said all them nice things about you. That's not... No, mon ami, of course not. Thank you, Liz. He said distinct. Oh, so he used to think it stinks, but he don't think it stinks anymore. <laughs> no, Max. The word is distinct. We from the Latin word distinctus, which means to keep separate. Aye, if something stinks, you sure want to be separate from it. (laughs) No, no, Max. Separate, as in set apart. That's what I'm saying. If something be stinky, you want to be set as far apart as possible. (laughs) This could go on for quite a while. Uh, So, moving forward... As you guys may remember, today's chapter has a lot of adventure, a lot of danger. I mean, it gets pretty hairy and pretty scary. Well, hey, no, so am I. I mean, I'm not scary, but I'm pretty hairy, then. we, oui, whereas I am just pretty. Pretty what? Oh, no, that's it, just uh, pretty. <laughs> so, Max... You're pretty hairy, and Liz, you're simply pretty, indeed. So I guess that leaves me as... Pretty scary, what? <laughs> <laughs> hey, lad, you're a terrifying beastie. <laughs> <laughs> I say, uh, uh, booga, booga, booga. <laughs> oh, uh, eek, I am frightened. <laughs> help! Ay, help help, so lad. We're being tormented by a ferocious monster, mosi <laughs> Huzzah, huzzah. <laughs> it is... Mouse-zilla! <laughs> <laughs> uh, that was funny. Uh, right, monsieur? Uh, Announcer, lad? Ah, uh, up here. I say, old boy, why on earth are you standing on a chair? Um, m- m- no reason. Monsieur, did we frighten you? <laughs> of course not. <laughs> Don't be silly. <laughs> Don't worry, lad. I'll not let the big bad mossy devour you. <laughs> oh, oui, monsieur. We will protect you. Right, Nigel? I say, booga, booga, booga. Okay, okay, okay. Um, 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 Why don't I just read the next chapter, then? <laughs> Brilliant. After all, how scary could that be? <laughs> chapter 19. High and Mighty. September, 1748. Watch your step. We're almost there, Patrick called back. The 12-year-old jumped from rock to rock ahead of his friends. A pleasant breeze rippled through the tall green trees of the forest, bringing a welcome relief from the heat of recent days. A tiny hint of fall was in the air today. A discussion among friends about fall led to talk of pumpkins, which then led to pies, which then led to a Christmas goose, which then led to migrating birds, which then led to Patrick's eagle. He was proud of having taught an eagle how to fly, as he phrased it, but the friends were a little skeptical. Not that Patrick ever lied, but since none of them saw him do such an amazing thing, they wondered if he might be exaggerating things. They knew he was an expert at bird calls, but teaching an eagle to fly was a bit much. Jane, Sally, and Elizabeth took their time, lifting the hems of their skirts so as not to get them muddy from the trail along the creek. Elizabeth Strong had become good friends with both Jane Henry and Sally Shelton, and the trio were inseparable at the common school. Samuel Meredith and Patrick's brother William brought up the rear, carrying their muskets and telling the girls about the latest bucks they had shot while out hunting. "'Mine was at least an eight, maybe even a ten-pointer,' William claimed loudly, He was huge. Too bad he got away, Billy, Sam teased, jabbing the younger boy in the ribs. Mine was six points, but he was big. Lots of meat on that buck. I cleaned him myself. So where is this eagle of yours, Pat? Elizabeth wanted to know, wrinkling her nose at the thought of deer hunting and cleaning. Do you speak eagle as well as chickadee? He's around. You'll see, Patrick answered. He stopped on top of a big rock, looked back, and saw the girls following along. Sally looked up and smiled. He returned the smile and noticed a vine hanging down over the bank. He reached for it and swung out over the creek in an arc to land back on the bank with a thud in front of the girls. He winked at them and then cupped a hand to his mouth. He tried to screech like an eagle, but his changing voice cracked and came out sounding like chalk on a blackboard. The girls giggled and he shrugged his shoulders. Max, Liz, and Nigel trailed along behind the young people. "'It would appear our young knights seem eager to impress these fair maidens,' Nigel posited with a grin. "'Ah, youth!' "'My Henry has become quite the daredevil,' Liz added. "'I hope he does not get in the habit of showing off, or of boasting.' "'He's just having fun, lass,' Max assured her. "'We laddies like to show off for our lassies.' "'like when El went to get your Edelweiss in the Alps. "'You gotta admit, "'that's what made your heart first flutter for the daft kitty.' "'He placed his big head in her face with a knowing grin. "'Come on, lass, you know it did.' "'A shy grin grew on Liz's face. We, oh, oui. it was very brave for Albert "'to get me that beautiful little white flower. "'So relax,' suggested Max with a confident nod. "'It's just what we knights do.' Is that he? Jane asked, pointing to the birds circling high above them. Patrick turned to see what she was pointing to. No, that's a red-tailed hawk, little Jane. How can you tell the difference? Sally asked. Patrick smiled broadly. Perfect, he thought. He then launched into a mini-lecture on the differences between birds of prey. As they reached the wide opening of the creek, Patrick said... So the bravest of Indian warriors can wear a train of eagle feathers down his back. Do you have an eagle feather? Sally asked him. Yeah, Pat. If you trained an eagle, it seems like you would have gotten a feather, Sam said with a twinge of a challenge in his voice. Patrick frowned and put his hands on his hips. No, I don't have a feather, but I want one. I know where to get one. He pointed up to the eagle's nest high in the tree above them. Before anyone could say anything, he jumped up on a boulder and hopped from one rock to another to get to the other side of the creek. He put down his musket and made his way quickly to the tree that contained Cato's nest. The girls' eyes widened, and they put their hands up to their mouths in awe of what Patrick was getting ready to do. Sam and William sat down on the rocks and casually rested their muskets next to them. This should be interesting, William muttered. "'Pat can climb, but not that high.' "'I do not like this, Miss amis,' worried Liz with a frown. "'That is too far up for him to climb.' Max and Nigel looked at one another. Huh, "'Looks like the lad just ran off without thinking.' "'Oh, dear,' Nigel agreed. Liz kept her worried gaze glued on Patrick, who was now climbing from branch to branch. The wind was beginning to pick up speed, She ran ahead of Max and Nigel to the creek. Cato circled over the creek when he noticed movement down below. He saw Patrick and his friends, Max, Liz, and Nigel. He then noticed Patrick hurriedly crossing the creek to disappear into the greenery of the forest. Soon a gust of wind gathered together the upper branches of the trees, as if pulling back the curtains on a window, and his extremely keen eye spotted movement. Little did anyone on the ground realize that the real threat was not looming at the top of the tree, but in the branches close to where Patrick stopped to catch his breath. A panther sat there waiting for him. Cato turned to make a rapid descent. "'There's the eagle!' shouted Sally as she saw the white head and brown body of the majestic bird. She pointed to the bird. "'He must be calling to Patrick!' Sam and William looked at one another in disbelief. Well, who would have thought? Sam started to say. Cato came swooping by the branches, screaming at the panther. Don't you dare touch him! The panther gave a sinister laugh and answered the eagle. (laughs) This time he doesn't have a gun. But the others do, Cato thought as he turned to circle back over the others. He screeched repeatedly. "'Panther! Get Patrick out of that tree!' The friends all noticed the commotion with the bird. Sam looked down and saw the fresh tracks in the mud, and his face fell. He looked up in the tree and saw what Cato had seen. A panther was sitting in the branches, and Patrick was heading right for it. "'Pat! Get out of that tree! Panther!' he cried. Patrick heard Cato screeching and his friend calling, but Sam's voice was muffled with the wind that was now picking up in intensity. He looked back to his friends on the rocks. The girls were screaming, jumping up and down hysterically, and the boys were shouting and waving their arms frantically. What are they yelling about? He looked down and realized how high up he was, yet he still had a long way to go to reach the eagle's nest. I was foolish to think I could reach the nest. Maybe they're telling me to stop. "'They're right.' He then heard Max barking in alarm. Patrick lifted his gaze, and there, ten feet above him, was a panther. Instantly, panic filled him, and he broke out in a sweat as his heart began to pound. "'Coming up for your precious feather, boy?' The panther growled, opening his mouth wide in a threatening show of teeth. "'I knew you'd try it eventually, stupid boy.' trying to be so high and mighty. Do
1: something,
0: the girls screamed. Liz joined them, meowing in terror. Max ran ahead over the rocks, barking his head off as he made his way to the other side of the creek. Sam and William grabbed their muskets and followed the little dog. Stay here, William told the girls. Patrick started to climb down backward as fast as he could while the panther crouched to jump down to the next branch. Sam and William reached the other side of the creek and started making their way to the tree, following Max, who was way ahead of them. "'We can't shoot at the panther!' William shouted. "'We might hit Pat!' Cato made another pass and screeched. "'Patrick, I'll try to harass the cat! You're going to have to jump!' The eagle soared upward, then quickly circled back. "'If only the boy spoke eagle!' he thought to himself. Cato came in above the branches and got as close as he could to the panther, continuing to screech, talons protruding, but the big cat was too well protected by the foliage as he followed Patrick down the tree. Patrick looked down to see how far he was from the ground. "'Still too far!' he thought as he continued as quickly as he could from branch to branch. Max barked, "'Jump, lad! Jump!' Sam cocked his musket and took aim at the panther, "'keeping his gaze on the big cat "'while his friend slowly made his way toward the earth. "'Get ready to get him out of there, Bill,' he said as calmly as he could. "'I'm ready,' William answered. "'He held his gun up to use as a club if need be. "'As Patrick got within a safe distance to jump, "'the panther lunged toward him, "'causing him to slip and fall just as the cat reached the branch.' He landed with a hard thud and cried out just as Sam fired. A sickening growl came from the cat as it leapt from the branch and landed in the cloud of smoke, screams, and barks. William ran over to swing his musket at the cat, but it darted off into the woods, choosing to fight another day. Max took off after it. Sam and William dropped their guns and ran over to Patrick, lay on the ground, writhing in agony and struggling to breathe. He held his upper left arm with his right hand and curled up in a ball. Pat! William shouted in a panic. I think it's broken, Patrick struggled to say as the boys surrounded him. He closed his eyes tight and bit his lip against the pain. That was close, but the cat is gone, Sam said exhaling in nervous relief. "'Here, we'll help you up,' William replied as he and Sam carefully cradled Patrick and slowly helped him to stand. He winced in excruciating pain. "'Sam, take the guns and get over to the girls,' William instructed. "'We had better get out of here before that panther returns.'" Max ran as far as he could until he realized he couldn't keep up with the speedy panther. He stopped in his tracks and panted heavily, looking all around to see if he could see a trail of blood. He wasn't sure if Sam had hit the big cat or not. He gazed up to see Cato circling overhead. "'Thank goodness you sounded the alarm, laddie,' he said softly to himself. He then frowned. "'That big cat wasn't just sitting there. It were waiting for Patrick.' Just then, Max smelled something wafting through the air. He lifted his nose, and a low growl instinctively rumbled in his throat. Uh, "'I've smelled that foul stench before.' "'Max, you must hurry back to Studley,' came Nigel's voice from a pigeon overhead. "'Our Patrick has broken his collarbone, and everyone is in hysterics. "'Now Patrick is worried that you have been claimed by the panther.' You need to show him you are all right so he can calm down, old boy. Max took a step forward and thought he saw movement about 30 yards up ahead. He frowned and answered Nigel, I'm coming. The Scotty turned around to hurry back to Studley. Behind a thicket, the same eyes that had been watching Patrick for three years narrowed angrily as Max trotted away. A broken collarbone does nothing. It should have been his neck, murmured a low voice. The being heard the groans of the panther lying in a cluster of ferns. The big cat was wounded, but not mortally. Sam's bullet had simply grazed its shoulder. No more failure from this one. The source of the evil voice walked over to where the panther lay. "'For you,' the voice said in a mocking tone. "'You only suffered a soldier injury, as did the boy. "'Pity.' "'I tried to get him again. "'Really, I did,' the panther answered nervously. "'Of course you did.' The voice said, cackling with a sarcastic, sinister laugh. (laughs) Three times, no less, the voice screamed. It paused to quickly change its tone from anger to that of icy contempt. That's enough for you, the voice calmly said as it leaned in close over the big cat, filling the panther's eyes with fear. Something to ease the pain? Ooh, the chapter ends even scarier in its own way. Aye, the panther were right there in the tree with wee Patrick. I remember, that was so scary for the lad. But that evil voice, aye, now that were a different kind of scary. Oui, it was uh, sinister. Aye, and you didn't know what it was capable of, and you didn't want to find out. Oui, mon ami. It would seem that the fear of the unknown can be far more scary because we let our imaginations make things bigger than they are, huh? Uh, So, today, we are doing things a little differently as we are combining Nigel's News Nuggets with Jenny's Corner. Greetings. Nigel P. Monaco here at Jenny's Corner as we take an up-close and personal look at fear. Now, Greetings, Miss Jenny.
1: Hey, Nigel.
0: Well, today's chapter has had us all on those proverbial pins and needles, what? And so, first of all, well done, my dear. Now, we enjoy stories with action and danger and all that, but if it were actually happening to us, well, we'd be anything but joyful. So, why do you suppose that is?
1: You know, stories and books allow us to experience the things that maybe we experience in real life and don't want to deal with, And we can allow the characters that we read about to experience them for us. And we watch how the characters respond. In fact, I've even had readers, Nigel, who said, you know what? I didn't know how to respond in a certain situation. And I read how Max did in dealing with his fear, and then it taught me about how to deal with mine.
0: That's well said. Uh, we, we all go through different types of fear here and there through our lives. Some of it's stuff that, well, I can handle it. I'm a big boy and all that. And then there are other times it's like, help, mommy. And so different things affect us different ways. Uh, what do you suppose is behind all that?
1: Well, it depends on what the source of fear is. If it's something like physical fear, like we've got a panther staring us in the face, mm. right? Mm-hmm. We may jump out of a tree. Indeed. Indeed, right? And I think our Patrick Henry, you know, that was his only option, right? So sometimes it's the fight or flight syndrome where we are taught to run. Mm -hmm. from something that might harm us but then sometimes it's an emotional fear maybe Mm. we don't have the courage to speak up when we need to to be bold Mm. or maybe there's a bully on the playground and we're afraid to say what we really think or he might beat us up or maybe we just want people to like us and if we say what we really think maybe they won't So there's all sorts of fear that Mm -hmm. we have.
0: There are easy reasons to procrastinate and not do the things that God would have you do because, well, what if I'm not good enough? Or what if I fail? Or what if people laugh at me? Or whatever the case may be. And that's a different kind of fear, isn't it?
1: It is a different kind of fear, Nigel. And in those cases, when we are seeking to do the right thing, We don't even need to worry about the fear. You know what? We keep our eyes on Jesus. Nigel, do you remember Hmm. when Max walked on the water with Jesus? Oh,
0: now that was a time.
1: It was a time. And one of his disciples decided he wanted to, too. And Peter jumped out of the boat, if you recall. You were there. Mm -hmm. You should know. Mm. And when this happened, Peter went straight to Jesus and he was walking on top of the waves and on top of the storm. But the moment he took his eyes off Jesus and he looked at the wind and the waves, do you remember what happened? I can tell you. He sunk sunk like a a rock. rock. And so the key in the whole thing was to keep your eyes on Jesus. Because when Peter looked at him, he had no fear. When he took his eyes off Jesus, what crept in but fear?
0: Mm -hmm. And that was a very literal version of the kind of fear we all have, the the old proverbial taking our eyes off Jesus, looking to something else, or I've heard it said that your fear is what you're putting faith in. That's right. You have faith in that thing because that's bigger than, than you can handle, when indeed our God is bigger than anything that comes
1: at us. That's right. And in that moment when Jesus had told Max Hey, come on, boy, you've dealt with this fear long enough. It's time to get rid of this fear. And Max said, well, how, a laddie. And Jesus said, by walking all over it. <laughs>
0: well said, of course. <laughs> he, he always says it best, doesn't he? But uh, I think about Max and his fear of water and walking on it. I say, oh boy, now that's brilliant. Now, it seems these days, more of those kinds of fears, not so much of those those things that are big and scary, but, Things that are not so big, but scary, because we know nothing about them. It seems the common thread these days has been fear. We've been bombarded in the news that things in this world are out to get us, that we can't be safe anywhere we go, and so on and so forth. We are consumed in fear of what if. And that's got to be the dankest, shallowest kind of fear there is. What if? Well, what if not? So how do we respond to this overwhelming bombardment of Be afraid everywhere you go.
1: Well, the first thing is to do what we just said. You look to Jesus for the answer. And his word said, I have not given you the spirit of fear, but of love and of a sound mind. Mm. And so if we know that fear isn't from God, who is fear from? Well, it's not from God. It's not from Jesus. So it's got to be from the enemy And he loves to make us fearful, doesn't he? Mm -hmm. So we need to take our cues not from the enemy, not from the evil one, but from Christ and put our faith in him. And the world wants you to be afraid. The enemy wants you to be fearful about every little thing. And it seems to be that's the fashionable thing these days, Nigel, is be afraid. Be afraid. If you're not afraid, there's something wrong with you. And that's a sign of a world that is kind of upside down, hmm. isn't it? Mm-hmm. Because Jesus said, when I'm with you, there's nothing to fear because I am bigger. And one of the verses that I love the most is, greater is he than is in you than he who is in the world.
0: Ah, yes. I believe that's 1 John 4, 4, a marvelous verse. As is Second Timothy one seven, which you quoted a moment ago, we haven't been given a spirit of fear by Jesus. No, no, but a spirit of love. So if fear is present, it's not from Jesus, and that's what we want to hold on to, right?
1: And it says love cast out all fear.
0: And there it is. And there is no better love than the love of Jesus. Amen. Well, thank you, Miss Jenny. This was a special little corner. I actually got to hang out in the corner today. Actually, there's much more room than a mouse like me needs, but uh, it's a fun corner to hang out in. Thank you so much, Jenny, for joining us today, as you always do with tidbits of wisdom.
1: Nigel, your corner is so cozy. I'd love to hang out with you any time.
0: Ha, <laughs> ha, ha.
1: Huzzah! Ah, too and Miss Jenny.
0: Aye, and the big bad mosey was not bad either. All right, all right. He merely startled me, okay? That is the spirit, monsieur. You can conquer your fears. I wasn't afraid. I lad. <laughs> Just a wee bit startled then, huh? <laughs> have it your way, but... That is your story, and you are sticking to it. Bravo! Okay, fine. I'm afraid. Now we are getting somewhere. So, uh, go with that, monsieur. Uh, what are you afraid of, huh? Well, Dr. Liz, I'm afraid... We? Oui? I? I'm afraid that's all the time we have today. So, be bold, everyone, and have the courage to join us again on our next podcast. Once again, The Epic Order of the Seven, The Podcast, is produced by Playful World Ministries, a department of ACT International. All of The Epic Order of the Seven characters and adventures were created by and written by Jenny L. Cody. And remember, you can download your very own copy of the audiobook, The Voice, The Revolution, and the Key, by visiting audible.com. That's www.audible.com. And you can find the entire collection of Jenny L. Cody's Epic Order of the Seven books by going to her website, wwwepicorderofthe And I'm Denny Brownlee. Thank you for listening and join us next time on the Epic Order of the Seven, the podcast. Have a grande! Abiento mis ami! Huzzah! And ta ta! And always remember, You are loved and you are able.